Let us pray together. Healing God, we pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our faith community gathered here this morning. So that as we reflect upon your word, you would guide us to become more fully the healing community that you intend and desire. One that carries folks and where we are carried ourselves to Jesus for healing. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Jesus' home in Capernaum, he is moved there from Nazareth, is so packed with people today that they spill out the doorway and out into the street. Those at the edge of the throng stand on their tippy toes. Kids sit on the shoulders of their parents and everyone is straining to see and to hear Jesus inside. You see, word has been spreading all over Galilee like wildfire about Jesus' amazing teaching and preaching and healing. How he's helping folks connect with God. Connect with God's love like never before. And how he is healing whatever is blocking that love from flowing into people's lives. Disease, greed, blindness, injustice, leprosy, hatred of self, and hatred of others. In the distance, suddenly four men come lumbering along, carrying a bed frame between them. And on their pallet is a man whose deformed spine thrusts his chest forward and bends his neck backward at a sharp angle so that he is forced to look back to the place from which he's come. And when they get to the edge of that thick crowd they realize right away there's no way they're going to be able to carry their wide load in to Jesus. And so they turn around, and as they turn around, their suffering friend, their suffering friend begins to moan. And then to howl with his mouth wide open in deep, prolonged sobs. One of the four suddenly remembers uh, that there's a way to the home by a back way. And off they go. They scramble up a narrow staircase up to the roof, nearly dumping their friend over the side as they go up and carry him up to the spot where they can hear Jesus' voice down below. They drop to their knees And the four of them begin unroofing the roof. That's what it says in the Greek. They unroof that roof, digging through the sun-baked 
clay and pulling away the tree branches that are used as beams. And in the room down below, people start shielding their eyes from all the debris falling down upon them. And Jesus, dear Jesus, pauses in mid-sentence, gazes up lovingly in welcome and curiosity, and then down comes the pallet, swinging and swaying on ropes, and lands with a great big thwack on the ground right in front of Jesus. The four guys up there drop their ropes, lie down on their stomachs, and now all eyes are on Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus stuns everyone by saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. He speaks these words with such quiet authority and they send shockwaves out through the whole house. And some scribes start hissing and yelling and saying, blasphemy, who can forgive sin but God alone? I mean, if this guy can forgive sin here, then who needs the whole temple's sacrifice system to meticulously dole out God's forgiveness? Let me ask you something, Jesus says. Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or for me to say, stand up and walk? And for these words actually to come true. Because you see, being forgiven is not immediately verifiable, is it? But telling a paralytic to get up and walk, which is what Jesus does right now, is most surely verifiable. And suddenly, this man stretches out his trembling limbs, rises unsteadily to his feet, and starts to walk. And the crowd parts before him like the Red Sea as he totters out the door, waving his arms in exuberant joy. And the crowd is filled with amazement glorifying God for what they have just seen. Dear friends, Jesus' healing of this paralyzed man and of other suffering people are all dramatic signs of God's inbreaking kingdom. Again and again and again with Jesus, we see dividing walls coming down and roofs being unroofed so that all people, especially those long excluded, might have full access to God's healing and wholeness. Full access. And this well-being, and the word for this 
in Scripture is shalom. This shalom that Jesus brings is His sneak preview of what the whole world is going to look like when it's fully under God's reign. It's what we've been hearing about these past weeks here in Revelation 21 in our series, A World Set Free Finally from Disease and Death and Pain and Tears. Finally set free. And today as our dear foursome bring their suffering friend to Jesus, we're also given a sneak preview of the church being the healing community that God intends. Sometimes carrying other folks to Jesus for healing. Sometimes being carried ourselves to Jesus for healing as well. And I want to look at the hard one first. Being down on that pallet ourselves. You know, we all tend to deny this reality. But sooner or later, we're all going to be down there on that pallet and we're going to need someone else in our faith community, others to carry us to Jesus for healing. Sooner or later, we are all going to be that paralyzed one. Paralyzed by a frightening illness, by a terrible grief, by a crushing sin, a dark depression, an inability to forgive. And we, when we are feeling so overwhelmed that we ourselves cannot pray anymore and the heavens seem to be made of brass, have you ever felt that way? We are all going to urgently need other people and their deep faith to intercede and to pray on our behalf. That's what Barry shared about last week. But come on, don't most of us find being on the pallet unpalatable? I couldn't resist. I mean, don't most of us here at East Chestnut find it so much easier to focus on helping others than being helped? Amen? I know I sure do. But you know, in a church, if no one ever receives, then no one ever has a chance to give. Right? And the church is never able to become the healing community that God intends. Because you see, God has designed us in such a way that God's healing flows through our deep interconnectedness. Through our web of relationships with one another rather than outside of it. Now let us look at carrying other folks to Jesus. Perhaps the easier one. And let us remember what we've been learning so far in our worship series. 
that when a person is suffering, they often experience a triple whammy of physical and relational and spiritual isolation all at the same time. A deep and profound sense of being alone in the world. And if the faith community at that time can gather around them, encircle them, and enfold them, and alleviate just one of these areas, perhaps by bringing in meals, by holding their hand, sending cards, lifting them faithfully in prayer, the door can be opened for God's healing to flow into their lives. And the burden that they are feeling at that moment is no longer quite as heavy. Isn't that what we're doing right now for Carol Sant after her attack from pancreatitis, pancreatitis surrounding her as God's healing community? We see this pattern most beautifully in the story in Acts 14 that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. In that story, Paul is brutally stoned by his enemies, dragged outside the city, and left there for dead. But when his faith community comes and gathers around him, he's able to get That's the church being the church. Now please notice that this part of my sermon is not about carrying others, but about carrying others to Jesus. There's a world of difference between those two. It's our job to walk with folks, to pray for them, and to bring them into the healing presence of Jesus. It's not our job to fix them, to manage them, to judge them, and thank God to heal them. Our world already has a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Thank God. We are to be channels of our Lord's healing, not its source. We don't need to play God. And what freedom there is, what freedom there is because we are set free to give without giving out. During our series on healing, I've been uh, spending a whole lot more time on my sermons than usual. Where's Sheldon? Thank you, Sheldon. And I actually say thank you because I've been struggling. These are deep questions that we're facing here. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to struggle with them. You know, sometimes sermons write themselves and 
sometimes uh, sermons feel like a very, very long labor. And uh, this past Friday, I woke up at 3 a.m. with sermon contractions. (laughs) Samantha knows what these are like, too. Sometimes I want to say, Lord, you know, how about 8 a.m.? And the answer always comes back, well, I'll never have your full attention then. You know, our focus on healing has forced all of us to grapple with big, big, ultimate questions about why there is suffering in our world and where it comes from. And believe me, it's a subject where a sermon can be helpful or it can do a whole lot of harm. And we've all heard harmful sermons on this subject. It's also a subject with profound complexity and mystery. Let me just give you one example. Four Sundays ago, in the story of the blind man, we heard Jesus say that it's a big mistake always to assume that there's a connection between sin and disease, right? He separated them. Don't make the automatic connection. But today, did any of you notice this? In his healing of our paralyzed friend, Jesus shows us that it's also a mistake to assume that there's never a connection. Sometimes there is. And clearly, our Lord Jesus sees how our souls and our bodies are connected intimately and woven together in ways that, frankly, I just don't understand. But what our series is helping us to see more clearly, I believe, are a few things. Wherever and whenever Jesus shows up, misery and illness and disease are put to flight. His healing presence returns people and creation to the well-being and the shalom that God intends. Never forget that. When Jesus shows up, these things flee. Jesus also shows us that God is not, is not, is not the source of our suffering and human disease. As many people assume in his day and still do today, when we fall ill or when we get cancer, we are not being punished by God. And to be clear about this is already to experience deep spiritual healing from Jesus. Because to have a disease and then to think that it came from our loving God, what could be worse? Jesus shows us that disease and illness come from the evil powers that seek to enslave and corrupt our world. Acts 10.38 says that Jesus goes about doing good and healing all who are oppressed 
by these unseen but very real forces. And through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, they have been unmasked and overcome. And though they still rage in our world and in our bodies, they are defeated powers. They're defeated. And in the end, when God's will is finally done on earth as it is in heaven, there will be no more death or disease or pain or tears, but only the shalom that God originally intended from the beginning. Another reason I've been waking up at 3 a.m. these days is to pray for our dear congregation and the discernment process that we are in about how to receive gay sisters and brothers into the life of our church. And this past Friday, around maybe 4 o'clock, I felt prompted to ask, what might today's story have to teach our congregation? And what I felt led to notice is how all of us here at East Chestnut, whether traditionals or progressives or undecideds on that matter that I just mentioned, all of us have a desire to bring all people to Jesus and to unroof, to unroof whatever roofs may be in their way. We're all wanting that to happen. This is because I believe, as I've been hearing these past years from all of you, This church has been for each of us a church of refuge. A church where each of us, for one reason or another, has been able to connect with God or perhaps to reconnect with God in some new way. And as a congregation, as a result, we're deeply united in wanting other people to be able to connect with God just as we have. I suppose where we differ is about what we think Jesus will do when a gay brother or lesbian sister comes into his presence. Right? What will Jesus heal? What will Jesus bless? How will he call our friends to live then? I confess my own sinful hubris because I so often think that I know what Jesus would do. But our story teaches us that we're all going to be surprised. Not just our gay friends, but all of us are going to be surprised 
by what is blessed and healed and reshaped. But in a world that seems to be falling apart right now, amen, (laughs) crazy times, I want to reclaim Jesus as the strong center of our congregation. The one toward whom we are all moving and doing our best to move toward. And friends, how can we do this all the more? Let us, first of all, each do our inner work these coming days of drawing nearer to Jesus. Because the beautiful thing is, as I draw closer to Jesus, and you draw closer to Jesus, and you draw closer to Jesus, the closer we all are to each other. Right? At our congregational conversation this Wednesday, let us come ready to deeply and prayerfully listen to each other. Now, I know that it's so easy to feel that we are so done with this kind of hard work. Amen? Why do it? The world sure isn't. Why do it? Because in a world where everyone is shouting and tweeting at each other, this is what the love of Christ requires. This is what love looks like. And because we have always had two goals in our discernment series and not just one, the first goal, of course, is to come to greater clarity about how to receive gay and lesbian followers of Jesus. That's one goal. But the other goal has always been to deepen our relational ties with one another along the way. Not just preserve them. Deepen them. So these coming days, let us all make a special point of moving toward each other. Toward, toward, toward. Let that be our word. To relieve whatever relational or physical or spiritual isolation we may be feeling right now. And there is some. And above all, dear friends, let's not forget why we're doing this hard work together. It's not about political correctness. It's not about keeping in step with our surrounding culture. It's about the mission, the mission, the mission of East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. It's about unroofing roofs and connecting all people with Jesus. Amen.